Well, people of God, we look together in the Word of God in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 4 through 10. 4 through 10. And our text and outline is verses 9 and 10, phrase by phrase, word by word. So you'll know exactly where we're going. All right. So 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, beginning with verse 1. People of God, hear the glorious good news of our God's saving work, His praiseworthy deeds, His mighty being, who He is. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, people of God, particularly verses 9 and 10 that we focus on, although our focus will be much broader than that, uh, I confess to you that uh, over the years of preaching sermons, I, I believe this may be the one sermon I have the most Uh, references, scripture references to of any sermon that I've ever preached. So uh, we are going to be jumping back and forth and here and there. And there's a reason for that. Uh, There is a point of application of this text uh, that is uh, far beyond uh, the words of the text because in this text there is a summary of so much. Every word has significance. Every word is tied to the Old Testament uh, and then uh, a people of God and applied then to the New Testament people of God in a succinct and phrase after phrase, concept after concept way uh, in such that uh, this may be one of the most powerful two verses, especially verse 9, uh, that ties the Old Testament people of God to the New Testament, that within gives us the proper understanding of how to relate the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Jews of the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament. 
And if you get that wrong, you will go astray in all kinds of ways. And uh, God would have us to have a proper understanding of all those things. And, and so one of the asides, uh, because it, uh, the asides of the text is to focus, on, is to teach uh, that close relationship between the Old and the New Testament, between uh, the continuity of the people of God of the Old and the, with the people of God in the New. Uh, that is one thing. But that's uh, the, the side note, because the primary proclamation of the text is to tell God's people today who they are, and because of who you are, that's why you do what you do. Just as because of who God is, he does what he does, so it is that we as the people of God do what we do because we are what we are. And this text will drive home that point. Who and what is, what does it mean to be a believer, to be a Christian? Or in the words of our text, God's people, or the people of God. The people of God. Well, that phrase in itself uh, is going to make a glorious uh, proclamation that we are the people of God. And that's the title, and we'll come back to it uh, in, in the context of the sermon, but that seems to, to uh, be the overall, uh, uh, the overall presentation of the text and so we have a portrait painted of who we are in verse 9, uh, the beginning of verse 9, and then the purpose that we have, given who we are, what is it that we are going to do, and then the past and present contrasted, uh, ver the end of verse 9 and verse 10. And so, people of God, let us dive into God's Word and each of these declarations uh, together. You are. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are. You are. Now that you is a clear reference uh, to uh, those described in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, they are the exiles of the dispersion, 1 verse 1, uh, they are uh, those who, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for a sprinkling with His blood. Uh, that's the who. You are. That, that's the you, the reference to the you. True Christians, true believers, those who are born again, Although believer and Christian and born again are not in the text. And so we won't look at those words in depth or at all. We'll look at what's in the text. So what does the text describe those Christians, believers, uh, born again people to be? You are a chosen race. You are a chosen the word chosen could be, as it is in other uh, translations, translated elect, elect, chosen. And 
everything that we know about uh, God's sovereign election ought to come to our mind when we think of this word, chosen. It is an unconditional election. Uh, But it is the word that God used to describe ultimately his chosen in the Old Testament, even as the Old Testament people of God as a whole were considered the elect people, yet within that we knew there were the specific who were chosen, but it is a chosen people. And so that is language that is just reflective of a continual declaration of God concerning His chosen people in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the earth who are on the face of the earth. You are a chosen people. And now we're using that same... Peter is using that same, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that same language. Language that ought only be applied to God's chosen people. It will be applied to no one else. And so at the moment in time that Peter, uh, that the Holy Spirit is giving this to Peter, who are the chosen people on the face of the earth. It is not the Jewish nation as a whole that is, uh, that is in the background, but it is the people of God, those who are looking to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. It is those who are the chosen people. Or Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14, verse 2. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2 will have that same declaration, that same theme set before us. For you are a people holy to the Lord, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured position. Or Isaiah uh, chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, uh, verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I'm going to I have chosen you. That concept of the chosen. And, and certainly that is then something that, that not only Second Peter, but throughout the New, the New Testament uh, will constantly declare, such as Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12. Put, then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So once again, that text focusing on because of who you are, you will be doing this. It's an inevitability. It is a reality arising out of who we are. And so this is set before us. You are a chosen uh, people. Uh, you are a chosen generation. Uh, you are a chosen race. And the uh, ESV, I think, has one of the better translations. Uh, reflects some older translations, but not all. Sometimes it says generation, but the word race is really, is really the, the root word. It, it has to do with racial. What race are you? Uh, and when we think of race, we may think of Caucasian, 
uh, we may think of Indian, uh, we, we may uh, think of Vietnamese, so there are particular ethnic racial identities. I had somebody try to tell me I was Dutch. I said, no, no, I'm Frisian. It's a different race, right? So there's all, and then there's, and then people, you know, you can get some really specific things going on there, right? And so a race. And of course, in the Old Testament, that was so critically important, not that anybody couldn't join the race, the racial ethnic group, but they would have to be absorbed into the race was never pure ethnic, but it became identified clearly as an ethnic race from 12 sons, 12 tribes, and, and there became an ethnic identity, a racial identity, uh, such that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, though it recognized that people could come into the nation, the racial identity was clearly before the Jewish people. Uh, 23, beginning with verse 2. No one born of a, forbidden union may, of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord. But if they've been part of the people of God for ten generations, then you can enter the assembly. But keep a racial record for ten generations. That's how important the, the race was. The, the racial identity. And Peter says, you, the dispersed, Jews and Gentiles together, you are the chosen race. So what race are you? What race are you? Really, we are the chosen race, which means that there is no fundamental racial identity among the people of God. The people of God are themselves the race. That's our racial identity, people of God. Now, those are really odd words. What, what is the Lord getting at? He's getting at people of God that the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of our human ancestry. Isn't he? The blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That, that means if I have a Christian brother who may be Korean, that brother is my race in a far more significant way than my first cousin who may have rebelled against the Lord. There's my, that's my brother. And that's how I ought to think because that's what this text says. There, we together, no matter what our racial background is, we are the chosen race. And this is in the context of the New Testament that proclaims that the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. It has been erased. It has been eradicated. 
by the work of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2. We'll declare that so clearly. And so, people of God, the, the application is we are closer. One of the very practical applications is, is that no matter what our ancestors may thought of racial purity in marriage, the fact is, is that the, the purity of racial purity for a Christian is the other person is a Christian. That, that's, what's, that's, the, that's what's critical. Everything else is insignificant. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. And so the Word of God in a very striking way, declares who we are and what race we are. We're God race. That's our race. A chosen race. An elect race. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Well, we know that in the Old Testament, the laws for the nation of Israel, it was illegal to have a royal priesthood. Uh, nobody ought, there couldn't be a king priest. The line of David was the kings, the line of Aaron was the priest, and never the two should meet, except they met in Christ. And of course, that's because he is of the order of Melchizedek, who wasn't a priest because of his ethnic connection to a particular figurehead, David or Aaron, because he preceded them. But he was, a true, he was a true priest, but he was Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, and Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So the fact that this is a king priest is very clearly proclaimed in the scripture. And so in Hebrews chapter 5, recognizing that, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 5, declaring who Christ is, it says this, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I guess we could say we're Melchizedek priests, because the church of God and each individual member is a royal priesthood. The reformers emphasized that, did they not, as they looked at the fact that in Christ, in Christ's anointing, we are all anointed, and we are all then Christians, and the Heidelberg Catechism then will declare that we are Christians because we are prophets, priests, and kings, and this is a great text for that Lord's Day, uh, I've used it for that as well. And so, because the text clearly has that, we're a royal priesthood that we may proclaim. The proclamation is the prophetic element, and you have both prophet, priest, and king, but that's who we are. We are prophets, priests, and kings, and particularly a royal priesthood. That's what we are. You are a holy nation. Well, we saw the ethnic identity. Now we see the national identity. 
and we, we see that as a nation and a kingdom of priests. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And notice, uh, this is Exodus 19, which comes before Exodus 20. I know. And, and the point being is that Exodus 19 declares who you are. Exodus 20 declares what you do because of who you are. It's the same pattern as we have in these two verses, which you see throughout all of Scripture. Who you are uh, is uh, depend, depend, what you do depends on who you are. And so it is in Exodus 19, verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. You are a nation, a holy nation of priests. <coughs> this Old Testament theme. And it's focused now on the New Testament church. This is who we are. Now, the holy nation, no longer a civil uh, place, but an ecclesiastical, a church place, that's who we are. A holy nation. A holy nation. And then our text goes on as it just piles up uh, these declarations. Uh, you are a holy nation. You are for his own possession, a people for his own possession. Literally, a people for possession. It's clearly the idea of being owned by God. Owned by God. Old Testament has those references, but one of the clearest references in the New Testament, of course, uh, maybe uh, that First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter six, uh, verse nineteen. First Corinthians six, verse nineteen, uh, which is that uh, text that sets before us that we are a whole, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so, for, so glorify God in your body. We are the possession of God. We belong to Him. Well, people of God, that is the opposite of the, a, the vast majority of a variety of worldviews that are declared in our world today which declares that we are owned by ourselves. We do what we want to do. We can do whatever we want to do. This is my body. It's nobody else's body. And of course, uh, that is one of the foundational errors that literally results in death. But one of the great errors is the error of not knowing who they are. They think they're their own. And they're not by creation. And we are not by creation and redemption. And so someone who's pro-choice, who declares that this is my body, I can do whatever I want to, 
is declaring the exact opposite of what reality really is. It's not their body. God is their creator. And we know that as a redeemed people, we could never say such a thing. Therefore, we could never do such a thing. Or we ought not ever do such a thing. It goes against who we are. For we are the possession of God. And our purpose then, point two, our purpose is to proclaim the glories of God, or our text in the exact wording, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. That we may proclaim the excellencies. Well, uh, that word excellencies, oh, proclaim, uh, is clearly to communicate verbally. Uh, to proclaim is a word that now is given to every single believer. It is, every, uh, it is our, all of our responsibility, partially because we're all prophets and we have a responsibility to proclaim, but as priests, kings, we proclaim. As a holy nation, we proclaim. As a people of his own possession, we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, who elected you, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the word excellencies, that you may proclaim the excellencies. One of the older translations, that you may proclaim the praises of God, which seems kind of an odd translation for us, but excellencies. But one of the problems is, is is the scope of this word, excellencies. It has within it Uh, the qualities and the characteristics of the person in an excellent way. So goodness, excellence of any kind, um, valor, prowess. Um, It has to do with uh, goodness. Uh, It it has to do with virtue, being virtuous. Uh, This word excellencies. Uh, But it's also tied to, to rank and nobility. And so uh, you think of, of old language that, and we're not in a country that has kings, and I'm thankful for that, and I think that's totally biblical that we not have kings. But the point is, is that, uh, that if you did, you may refer to them as your excellency. Uh, you have ever heard of that in the context of nobility? Your excellency. Well, it's the excellencies of nobility, and we ought to have, we ought to be thinking of ourselves as uh, people that have a king. We have King Jesus. We have God, uh, who is our king. Uh, God is our king, and he is the excellency. He, and we proclaim his excellencies. And so one of the points of the text is, is that we're going to proclaim who God is first and foremost. It's not, uh, the, the scope of the gospel includes the scope of the excellencies of God himself. That is an integral part of what, of what we're supposed to be proclaiming. Uh, there are many people who are told that, uh, that Jesus is God and Jesus came to save you and he died for your sins and, they, and these poor people haven't the foggiest idea of what a God is, let alone the true God. They have no idea who he is. We must proclaim the excellencies of God himself. And that's the point. We proclaim the excellencies of God. The glory of God. 
the majesty of God, the attributes of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. All of that is within the excellencies of our noble King of kings and Lord of lords that you may proclaim the excellencies of the God. That's then the the purpose within. The excellencies of God who sent His only begotten Son into the world to die. But it's the excellencies of God that brought forth the work even of redemption and salvation. This is the purpose of our existence. Uh, Reflected in the Westminster Confession, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God forever. To declare His excellencies forever. And that future and our present reality is then contrasted to what God has brought us out of. For He for He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And I'll just mention quickly uh, uh, the references I have here. The people of God, there are times in Scripture when uh, the Word of God reverts to illustration. Light, darkness. Light and darkness. Uh, We're all here in the light. And, uh, and we're glad because now we can see, we can see each other, we don't bump into each other, we don't trip and fall, uh, we can read uh, the, the text of the scripture, we can sing the songs together because there's light. It'd be a, um, if any of you have ever been in a cave where they turned off all the lights, then you know what darkness is, that's truly darkness, and there, you stay in that darkness too long, you'll, you'll become disorientated, you can't even function. Uh, you can't even think. You become delusional after a while because of the darkness. And our world is, is deluded by darkness. But the, the illustration is sit, simply set before us. You've been brought out of the kingdom, the realm, uh, the, the, uh, the people, uh, the king. You're brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And in Scripture, there are then multitude of contrasts between light and darkness, and I'll quickly mention but a few. Now, there's the light and darkness, the contrast between uh, the darkness of anything that isn't who God is and the darkness of that which is not God. Unto the upright, Psalm 112, verse 4, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. It's like God himself is light. Uh, the light of wisdom compared to the darkness of folly in Ecclesiastes 2.13. I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. So a kingdom of light and darkness has to do with uh, wisdom and folly. The light of Christ for the darkness of false saviors. Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined. And John, of course, 8.12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The light of the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus versus the darkness of idolatry. First, uh, Corinth, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 6. 
For it is the God who has commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of love versus the darkness of hate. Uh, 1 John uh, 2, uh, verse 8, uh, as he, he says, uh, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and end in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until, until now. Light of, da- light of love versus the darkness of hate. The light of righteousness versus the darkness of sin. People of God, there's all these contrasts, biblical contrasts between light and darkness. And you see, we could have a sermon just on that phrase from this text. It's just rich in, in its wealth and depth in Scripture. You were not a people of God, and now you are the people of God. The people of of God. This is the glorious promise from Scripture. We were not saved simply to be saved. We're saved to be the people of God. This is the the goal of salvation is that all the blessings of God And a new relationship with God can be established in us. And that's what is established. So that we become the very people of God. But you are the people of God. You are, verse 10. Once you were not my people, but now you are the people, God's people, or the people of God. Genesis 17, God's covenant promise to Abraham. Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. It is an everlasting covenant. I will be their God In Revelation chapter 21, we have that same theme. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God for all eternity. I will be your God. Who are you? A people who have received mercy in Christ or one that stumbles over the stone. God has declared that we, those who look to Jesus, who trust in Him, we are the very people of God. What a blessing. What a truth. Rest upon it. Rejoice in it. And live out of that reality 
in all that you do, proclaiming the praise, proclaiming the excellencies of our God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it unites together and puts us, O God, in the the history of your chosen people, your royal race. Father, that you would call us your people. What a declaration of mercy and grace, and we thank you for it. We thank you that through Christ, we are the ones who experience these blessings. And Father, may we never take them for granted, but may we be faithful in proclaiming the excellencies of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.